0: This episode of The Serial Holic contains descriptions of disturbing graphic content which may be offensive to some people. Listener discretion is advised. On December 28, 1989, a man who went by the name of Mitch began a 15 minute trek that he hadn't taken many times before. He left his apartment at 241 Alexander Street in Rochester, New York. He took a left on Gardner Park, and then a right on South Union Street. Within a couple of minutes, he was on the inner loop, a beltway that leads to Interstate 490. He got off the exit for Allen Street, which passes over the Genesee River. Then Mitch took a right onto State Street, and where State Street meets Lake Street, he took another right onto Lyle Avenue. Lyle Avenue leads to a downtrodden section of town known for epidemic drug use and prostitution. Mitch was comfortable in this environment. It was a great place for him to blend in. He might even say that it was possible to become invisible to the others who call this area home. He was on a mission. He drove to Lyle Avenue to satisfy an appetite that couldn't be fulfilled in his other life. Driving up and down the strip. He set his sights on a young woman. Not much is known about her, other than her name. 20-year-old Felicia Stevens. Felicia got into Mitch's car. It wasn't seen again until December 31st. Dead. A manhunt was put into motion for Felicia's killer. The ninth known murder victim and 12th to go missing from this area in the last year and a half. The media during this time had given the murderer a few different names. The monster of the rivers, the Rochester Strangler, and the one that eventually stuck, the Genesee River Killer. As with other serial killers, it was known that many had revisited the areas where previous bodies had been found. Authorities ramped up their search, including aerial surveillance. On January 3rd, 1990, a police helicopter was searching the area on the Salmon River. They noticed a car parked on the bridge and a man looking off to the side, apparently masturbating. Frozen in the water below was the outline of a body. The man jumped back into his car and drove off with the helicopter not far away. They followed him along Highway 31 and then the Route 259 before calling patrol cars to continue the tale. The man then exited his car and walked into Wedgwood Adult Home. Police followed him inside and found him in the basement. They asked for his ID. The man standing before them, soon to be identified as a Genesee River Killer, was Arthur Shawcross. I'm Dave Jari and I in the serial hall. Arthur Shawcross could tell a good story no matter how graphic or repulsive, he would tell it as if it was a matter of fact. A lot of the stories he told were so far-fetched, there's no way they could be true. Or could they? From a very early age, Shawcross claims to have developed an obsession for sex. By his own admission, he would experiment with the boys and girls from the neighborhood at the age of seven. He would attempt to have sex with various animals. Cows, sheep, and he says that he even killed a chicken during intercourse. These acts could be one part of the McDonald triad. He claims that his appetite for sex began when his Aunt Tina would force him to perform oral sex on her. He stated that he would have sex with his sister Jeannie and his cousin Linda, an accusation both vehemently deny. He goes on to say that he was caught performing oral sex on the sister of one of his friends. And when the friend threatened to tell on him, Shawcross performed oral sex on him as well. And then there was his mother, Bessie, who according to Shawcross, would sodomize him repeatedly with a broom handle. He would also become a bedwetter up to the age of 14. Part 2 of the McDonald Triad Whether factual or not, he paints a vivid picture of a tumultuous childhood. School wasn't much better for him. He was a loner and his classmates would constantly make fun of him. In retaliation, he would violently bully the kids in the younger grades. During these years, he would come under suspicion for a number of arsons, completing the McDonald Triad, as well as burglaries. After failing to pass ninth grade in 1960, Shawcross quit school, and what followed would be only described as mayhem. More fires, more robberies, and the final straw came when he was caught smashing out a shop window. Shawcross was sent to jail for the first time in 1963. What's good everybody? This is Dave. I'd like to invite you to become a serial holic by joining Patreon. Lots of great perks are available, including a free gift, exclusive chat group, monthly AMAs, and much more depending on the tier you select. Join me now by going to patreon.com backslash the Serialholic. That's patreon.com backslash the Serialholic. Thank you all for your continued support. Now back to the episode. Shawcross became friendly with the children around the Cloverdale apartment complex in Watertown, New York, where he and Penny lived. One child stood out from the rest. Ten-year-old Jack Blake quickly became a favorite for Shawcross, and the two of them would often meet up in the various fishing holes along the Black River. On the evening of June 4, 1972, Jack's mother knocked on Shawcross's door. Jack hadn't been seen since the morning where he was playing near the vicinity of the Cloverdale apartments. Shawcross stated that he hadn't seen the boy. This was a lie. Shawcross had lured the boy into the woods under the guise of going fishing. Shawcross stripped Jack down naked and forced him to run through the woods. He chased him down, then raped, strangled, and bludgeoned his head before cutting out the boy's heart and genitals and eating them. Three months later, the search for Jack continued. Shawcross was a suspect, but with no evidence, he avoided arrest. Then eight-year-old Karen Ann Hill was found deceased under a bridge. Shawcross was the main suspect because of two tips the police received. First, Shawcross was the last person to be seen with Karen. And second, Shawcross was seen eating an ice cream cone just above the location of her body. He was brought in for questioning. After a full day of interrogations, Shawcross asked, What's going to happen to me if I tell you something? Shawcross admitted to raping, mutilating, and killing Karen Ann Hill. He also confessed to killing Jack Blake and admitted he would return to the site to have sex with his corpse. As part of a plea bargain, Shawcross wouldn't be charged for his murder if he showed them where Jack's remains were. He pled guilty to manslaughter of Karen Ann Hill and received a maximum of 25 years in prison. By March 1987, Shawcross had qualified for early release. Although he had received many evaluations over his years in prison, many stating that Shawcross showed antisocial and psychosexual tendencies. One evaluation deemed him a normal individual who accepts what he has done wrong and has made strides to correct his behavior for an eventual return to society. With Penny no longer in the picture, Shawcross contend a pen pal relationship he started in prison with a woman named Rose Wally. Although his conditions of release prevented him from leaving the area, he promised Rose they would soon live together and get married. Shawcross was moved from Watertown to Binghamton, New York, because he was not welcome, and soon, the same would be for Binghamton, as well as his next stops, in Delhi, New York, where he moved in with Rose, in Fleischmanns, New York. Shawcross and Rose finally settled down in Rochester. Shortly after Christmas of 1987, Shawcross met another woman named Clara Neal. He began a relationship with her while still married to Rose. Shawcross would often use Clara's car and when Rose became suspicious, he played it off as he was just using her for the car. In February of 1988, Shawcross and Clara's car picked up a woman named Dotsie Blackburn. She asked him if he wanted a date. Shawcross paid her $30 for neutral oral sex. Things got a bit rough when Dotsie bit Shawcross's penis, drawing blood. He became enraged. He bit Dossie's vagina and then tied her up with her own clothes. He drove her body out to the Salmon River and told her he was going to rape her. She laughed at him and began calling him names. Shawcross wrapped his hands around her neck and squeezed the life out of her. Mr. Shawcross sat in the car with her lifeless body until around midnight, and then drove to a bridge where he dumped her body into the river below. Uneasy that he may have been witness letting Dotsie into his car, Shawcross traveled back to the area to see if there was any activity regarding her disappearance. When the coast was clear, he stopped at a coffee shop, dumped Dotsie's clothes into a dumpster, and then drove the car back to Clara. The murder would be the beginning of the Genesee River Killer. next few months, Shawcross, now known as Mitch to local prostitutes, would frequent Lake and Lyle Avenue quite frequently, and none would be the wiser that he was set to go on a rampage. In March of 1988, Dotsie's body was recovered downstream. Because of the cold water temperature, her body was well-preserved, including the large missing piece of her vagina that Shawcross had ripped off with his teeth, but all of the damning evidence had been washed clean. Next was Anna Steffen in July of 1988 Anna was a part-time prostitute who had made fun of Shawcross when he couldn't get an erection. He punched her to the ground and when she tried to escape by running into the river Shawcross followed her in and drowned her. He didn't kill again for another year. In June of 1989 a homeless woman by the name of Dorothy Keeler, a woman Shawcross had known from the diner he often visited as well as working as a housekeeper for his and Rose's apartment, began a sexual relationship. On July 29th, Shawcross was on his way to go fishing when he and Dorothy crossed paths. She asked if she could tag along, and on they went to the fishing hole. The morning was spent between fishing and having sex. They both hid under a makeshift shelter, and soon an argument erupted. Shawcross had accused Dorothy of stealing money from Rose and Clara. Dorothy denied the accusation and threatened him with telling the ladies that they were having an affair. Shawcross snapped, picked up a small log, and repeatedly beat her over the head with it. He left her body under a fallen tree. Genesee River Killer was now in full force. On September 29th, he raped and murdered Patty Ives, who he accused of trying to steal his wallet when he removed his pants. On October 23rd, June Stott fell victim. She was a friend of Rose's who was intellectually disabled. Shawcross picked her up to go to the water and while they were having sex, he commented about his surprise that she wasn't a virgin and a fight erupted. He suffocated her by holding her mouth and nose closed. November 5th, Shawcross picked up Marie Welch, who he strangled because she was menstruating. November 11th, Francis Brown would enter Mitch's car, never to be seen alive again. Shawcross claims to have choked Francis with his penis and then continued to have sex with her after she had died. Kimberly Logan was Shawcross's next victim on November 15th, then on November 25th, Elizabeth Gibson met her fate. After having oral sex in Clara's car, Shawcross accused her of stealing money, so he strangled her. He claims the struggle was so violent, he broke the gear shaft in the car. By December, police were flooding the Lake and Lyle Avenue area trying to get to the bottom of the missing and murdered prostitutes. Shawcross was so under the radar, he evaded any suspicion, even though he was a convicted child murderer and rapist. December 15th brought the disappearance of Darlene Trippy. Shawcross picked her up and when he couldn't get an erection, Darlene became frustrated. Shawcross retaliated by choking her to death. June Cicero was picked up on December 17th. Again, unable to get an erection, he went into a rage and strangled her dumbing her body in the Salmon River. The final victim, one he would not be charged for, was Felicia Stevens on December 28th. This brings us back to the beginning of the story. Shawcross was caught after being witnessed masturbating above the frozen body of June Cicero. Shawcross was questioned for several hours discussing many things such as his marriages, his jobs, his sexual habits. Shawcross even offered up that he was the killer of Jack, Blake, and Karen Ann Hill. Later that night, they released him. In the morning, they picked him back up and interrogated him for several more hours, and after trying to figure out some inconsistencies, Shawcross eventually confessed to 11 murders. The Genesee River Killer was no more. He was sentenced to 250 years in jail. He passed away of a heart attack at 9.50 p.m on November 10th, 2008 this episode of Serial holic was written and produced by me, Dave Jarry. Information for this episode came from the Arthur Shawcross story, Sins of the Flesh by Patrick Bellamy. The music for this episode is licensed through epidemic sound. As always, stay tuned for more episodes. And thank you for being a serial holic.